Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, we spread ourselves out a little bit. Man, when I first came in this morning, like everybody was sitting over here, and now people, oh, we're going to sit over here. We've got to even things out for Pastor Joe so he doesn't get dizzy. Uh, a couple more things I want to point out to you guys in your bulletins, if you have them. Uh, just under the announcements, I want to point out first, uh, there is a free concert on May the 7th at 4 p.m., the Bermudian Springs Eagle Singers. Uh, they are a uh, teenager, teenage group, uh, I believe, from Bermudian Springs High School. And they are going to be uh, singing at the Historic Rock Chapel on Oxford Road. So if you get the opportunity to go out to that, um, I've never heard them personally, but I have heard their praises sung all over the place. So if you get the chance, uh, head out to there. And also, um, some of you may or may not be aware, but we have a prayer and praise group uh, that meets the first and third Thursday of every month. Uh, I believe they meet over here in the, uh, the meeting uh, room, the conference room, so to speak. Um, and uh, they are going to be meeting 1030 um, on the first and third Thursdays of the month. So if you would like to come out and join them, if you'd like to pray for the church, if you'd like to pray for the world, if you'd like to pray for our community, um, if you would just like to share some time of uh, what God has been doing in your life, uh, hear what people, uh, what God's been doing in other people's <coughs> lives, please come out to that. Yes? This coming Thursday, we're going to be having lunch with Diane instead of our regular meeting. Okay, so if anybody would like to visit with Diane Larson, uh, who has been in Texas for a while, um, the group is going to be uh, meeting at... At... Joy's house, um, and you can get her information. Uh, but it is a it's it's a wonderful time. I think you usually have eight to ten people there on a regular uh, week. But if you have the time, if you're available, 10:30 on the first and third Thursday would be great. And uh, finally, down here at the bottom, donating to community aid. Uh, if you donate to community aid, if you take things there, please make sure to use our donation number, our member number, because community aid. Uh, provides assistance for us that we can provide to people in our congregation, people in our community. Uh, so really, uh, if you're going to take anything over there, if you can just remember to uh, tell them 250-20050 is our number. And I also want to uh, say a huge thank you to everybody who put together uh, the Easter Berlin, and I say put together like it's a, a, a you know pack of Legos. It's not. Um, it was a lot of moving parts. Um, Tori uh, took the lead on that, and really am appreciative. Uh, we had uh, Wendy stood out in the well, sat out in the field and counted, and we had over 1,200. Uh, she thinks 1,240 people, uh, which is almost double what we've had in previous years. So this event is growing. Uh, if you're interested in helping next year, if you're interested in coordinating, you have the time to coordinate things and make phone calls and do things like that, please uh, let me know, let Tori know. Uh, hopefully we can get this, this work a little more spread out because it really is, it's, very, uh, it's a very involved kind of thing. Nothing, I don't think anything is complicated. Uh, but it is a lot of work, and we'd like to be able to spread that out a little more. This morning, we're going to be kicking off a new sermon series, and I've titled the sermon series Lessons from the Good Samaritan. 
And we read the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Um, and actually what we read about is an incident where Jesus was asked this crucial question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And most of us have asked that question at one time or another. What must I do to get into heaven? Or if we're pessimists, what must I do to stay out of hell? Uh, but we've asked this question uh, probably several times in our lives. And a lot of people out there who don't yet know Jesus Christ, this is one of the big things that they focus on. What happens after I die? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? How am I going to get there? And Jesus most certainly tells us there is a heaven. He most certainly tells us there is a hell. And in this particular incident, this, this person who's asking this question wants the answer. How do I get eternal life? How do I get to go to heaven? And Jesus is sitting with his disciples. Seventy-two of them have just returned from this short-term mission trip. And they were healing the sick and they were preaching the gospel and they returned and they were all excited about all of the things that they were able to do that Jesus had empowered them to do. And we read in Luke 10, 17 to 20, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't worry about the things that you've done. I have empowered you to do many things, Jesus says. That's not the important thing. You shouldn't be walking around talking to people about how you cast out demons and how you carry snakes and how you tread on scorpions. What you should be concentrating on is telling them that your name is written in heaven and that their names can also be written in heaven. Your actions your works are crucial to building the kingdom of God. And this is true for us today. Our actions, our works, the things that we do when we go out into the community, when we talk to people, when we serve people, these are crucial to building the kingdom of God. But the more crucial thing is that you are going to live in that kingdom with me. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. This is the important thing. Yes, you should go out and you should do these things that I've empowered you to do. But remember, the most crucial thing is that your names are written in heaven. And then Jesus prays this prayer. And we read this in uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 21 to 24. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. 
And it appears that Jesus is praying out loud here. It says Jesus said. He's in the Holy Spirit. He's saying these things. And there is a crowd around Jesus. His disciples are there and probably a lot of people who do not yet know who he is or who are not following him. And if we remember that this prayer is said out loud, then what comes next has a much deeper meaning. And we read this encounter that Jesus has in uh, Luke 10, 25 to 37. We're just going to read this right through, and then we're going to take a look and see what this is talking about. So Jesus has just prayed, Father, thank you for hiding these things from the wise, from the, uh, from the learned, from the understanding, and showing them to little children. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him, uh, stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think? proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So this is the story of the Good Samaritan. This is the, the situation that Jesus finds himself in. And we're going to spend a few weeks here in, the, in this uh, passage. Now many of us know that this is a story. This man uh, probably didn't actually exist. Jesus was using what we would call a sermon illustration, right? He was telling a story that has a spiritual truth. We call those parables. And Jesus used a lot of parables. He told a lot of stories to try and teach those who were around him, whether they were disciples or bystanders or the religious leaders. And these religious leaders kept trying to find ways to arrest Jesus, to get him out of the picture because he was saying a lot of really bad things about them. And Jesus would speak in these parables. And sometimes we read in scripture, people would understand the parables. Sometimes they wouldn't. The message was hidden from them. Jesus would reveal the message later to his disciples. And this is one of these times where the story seems kind of self-evident. 
right? There's not a whole lot of gray area going on in this story. But at this time, Jesus is being questioned by a lawyer. And a lawyer in Jesus' time, these were experts in the law of Moses. The first five books of our Old Testament is considered the law of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. These are the laws. These are the things that we can read that, Jesus, that God told his people, Israel, they were supposed to do or not to do. And we see here that the lawyer stood up. He was there in the crowd. He had to be listening to Jesus. And he stood up. He had heard this prayer of Jesus where he was thanking God for hiding spiritual truth from the wise and learned and giving it to little children. Jesus was comparing the educated with the foolish or the uneducated. Jesus was saying, the educated don't get it. And here's this lawyer who spent his entire life learning and studying and interpreting God's law. He thought he got it. He thought, I've been spending my whole life doing this. How can you say I don't understand things about heaven, things about hell? How can you say this? And he stands up and he tests Jesus. And we don't know if Jesus was, you know, offended by the question. Probably not. We don't even know if the lawyer was necessarily offended by the prayer. But we do know that he stood up and he wanted to speak up for the educated. And the fact that he's testing Jesus here, he's not looking for an answer, right? He's not saying to Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? As if he thought he didn't know the answer. He wants to test Jesus to see if Jesus really knows the answer according to the law of Moses. And Jesus knows that he wants to know if Jesus knows what the answer is Jesus understands his question. He knows where it's coming from. And Jesus is okay with being questioned like this, tested like this. And in true rabbi form, Jesus answers the question with a question. Parents, how many times do, do your children come up and ask you a question and you answer that question with a question? Is it just me or some of you uh, do that? Yes, the teachers are raising their hands here, right? This is how sometimes we teach people, right? Instead of giving them the answer, we want to help them find the answer. So we'll ask them questions. And Jesus asks this guy a question. You're a lawyer. You've studied the law. What's it say in the law? What have you learned? And Jesus isn't asking for his answer or a quote or anything like that. He's asking for his interpretation. How do you interpret the law? And the, answer, uh, the lawyer answered Jesus' question with an almost direct quote from the Old Testament from the law of Moses. And this is in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five, and it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Does anybody recognize a difference between what the lawyer said and what Deuteronomy says? 
Let's take a look at them side by side. The lawyer said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And you can see that as it's up there side by side, the mind isn't mentioned in the law in Deuteronomy. The lawyer adds with all your mind. And he does that because he is an educated person. He is trying to justify his education to Jesus. You remember when Jesus prayed about the educated versus the uneducated? The lawyer kind of plugs this in. Jesus knows that that's not in the original verse. The lawyer knows that it's not in the original verse. But he plugs it in there anyway. And he also adds uh, Leviticus 19.18 to his response. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the lawyer's interpretation. And Jesus says, yes, that's it. You've got it. He doesn't put the lawyer down. He doesn't complain to the lawyer saying you're a heathen because you have added to the word of God by adding the two, uh, the uh, part about the mind. He's not upset about that. In fact, the lawyer is giving a fuller interpretation of the law because what the law is actually saying, the, the spirit of the law is love God with everything. We see love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That commandment, God is telling his people, love me with everything. So for the lawyer to add and with all your mind, that is a natural extension of love God with everything. We could add to this, love the Lord your God with all your money. Love the Lord your God with all your time. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are. And so when the lawyer interprets this in this way, Jesus says, yes, that's right. Do that and you will live. That's it. You're done. You're good. And his reason is that he wants the lawyer to know. Yes, I know you understand what that passage is saying. But the lawyer goes on. Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But the lawyer didn't feel justified. He didn't feel like Jesus was giving him the proper credit for his lawyerliness. So he said, and who is my name? Now, the law of Moses says a lot of things to answer that question, who is my neighbor? And this lawyer knows all of those things. Very quickly, we're gonna read through Leviticus 19, nine to 18. We're gonna see God's idea of who our neighbor is and how we're supposed to treat them. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. The gleanings are the things that fall on the ground as you're harvesting. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. 
What God is saying here is, don't be selfish. When you go and you reap your harvest, leave a little bit. Let those who are poor come to your farm and take some of the gleanings, take some of the things that are left over. Do that for the poor and do that for the sojourner. Pay attention to that word sojourner. We're gonna see it again in a minute. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. All of these things are the ways that we're supposed to treat our neighbor. You shall not uh, swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. We're not going to make promises to one another. How many of us are, are prone to saying, I swear to God? Right? This is what God is talking about. Don't swear falsely in my name. If you're going to make a promise, just make a promise. Don't bring me into it. This is what God is saying here. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Back in that time, when people did a day's work, they got paid that day. And that's actually coming back. Uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but there are certain like fast food places and certain other places where they're advertising, come to work for us and you will get paid on the same day that you worked. This is coming back and this is what God's talking about. Don't withhold those wages from those people. You pay them what they have earned. You pay them what you promised that you would pay them when you hired them. You should not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. The blind and the deaf were treated like second-class citizens, if that, in this time. All over the rest of the world, outside of Israel, the deaf and the blind were often just left to die. God says, no, that's not the way we treat our brothers. That's not the way we treat our neighbors. We take care of the deaf. We take care of the blind, and we certainly don't curse the deaf. Oh, he can't hear us, so we can say bad things about him. We don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind. Oh, he can't see. It's going to be so much fun to watch him trip over this. These are the literal interpretations, but what we're really saying here is you don't treat these people any differently than you want to be treated. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall, your, shall you judge your neighbor. You're not going to take anything into account except the facts of the case. You're not going to treat anybody differently because they're rich. You're not going to treat anybody differently because they're poor. We have a lot of problem with that in our American legal system. A lot of rich people are able to get better treatment than poor people are. God says, no, in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. All of these things are things that we're supposed to do to those who we call our neighbor. And finally, God says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 
And we look at this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I think a lot of times we forget how much we love ourselves. Anybody love yourself? Nobody loves themselves, this is just me. All right, we love ourselves. Are we gonna ever do anything that would, that would put ourselves in harm's way unless we're extreme sports people or something like that? Not gonna walk up to a bear and smack it on the nose in the middle of the woods. I love myself too much to do that. And I love my family too much to put them in danger or to do something that's gonna hurt them. Love your neighbor as yourself means you put your neighbor in the same place as you when you are dealing with them. Pretend he's you. Pretend she's you when you are doing whatever it is that you're doing. If you're doing a business deal or if you're inviting people over for a party or if you're doing something else, put yourself in that, person, in that person's place and treat them that way. That's love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the first five books of the Old Testament we talked about, that's the Torah, that's the law, right? They tell about creation, they talk about the creation of the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel became God's people. And we get all of the law laid out here, and this passage tells God how to treat their neighbors, how to treat other people in the nation of Israel. That's what the law is intended for. But God often mentions these people called sojourners. Sojourner is a really fancy word for somebody who is an outsider. Somebody who comes into the nation from outside. Somebody who doesn't belong. Somebody who doesn't have the natural rights that people in that particular country might have. God says, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. We hear a lot of talk about immigration, and I'm not here to be political at all. All I'm saying is God tells us we're supposed to take care of the people that come here just the same way that we, we take care of ourselves. I don't know how we do that. First of all, let's get government out of it. Let's not think of it as a government responsibility. Let's think of it as a church responsibility. Let's think of it as a Christian responsibility. We are responsible for anyone, anyone who comes into our sphere of influence it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they came from. This is what God is telling us. Do not treat the stranger as a stranger. Treat them like they belong. This is what God is saying. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you shall love your stranger as yourself. So we read all of this stuff in Leviticus, all of these things that God says about our neighbor and how we're supposed to treat them and what we're supposed to do. And the, the lawyer still says, who's my neighbor? As if it matters. 
Because whether it's a neighbor or a stranger, we're supposed to treat them the same way. Now notice, he does this to justify himself. He believes that what he has done throughout his life has earned him eternal life. He said, Jesus, you know what? You said that God doesn't reveal himself to the learned. He only reveals himself to little children, to the unlearned, to the foolish. But you agree with me that the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God completely, including with our minds. And I have loved the Lord my God with my mind all my life. That is, that's what I've used to interpret scripture all my life. But Jesus, just so I know, I know I've done all these things and you've agreed with me. You've said, yes, do those things and you will live. Well, I've done all those things. But just so I'm clear, and again, we get this clarifying question, this teacher question, who's my neighbor? I just want to make sure that I understand who's my neighbor. It reminds me of students in my classes. Okay, uh, Mr. Dorica, um, you said that we needed to write a 750 word essay, um, but how many paragraphs is that? <laughs> Does it have to be seven? What if it's not 750 words? What if it's 600 words? And they ask these questions to try to justify themselves, to try to make sure that whatever they do is okay. And of course, then the teacher says, no, it's gonna be 750 words or I'm gonna give it back to you. But he asks this to justify himself. What do I gotta do? Who's my neighbor? I'm pretty sure I've loved my neighbor as myself, but just in case, if I'm missing anybody, tell me, who's my neighbor? And instead of Jesus just giving him the answer, well, you know, in the book of Leviticus, it says, instead, Jesus tells a story. And next week, we're going to explore that story, that parable, a little more closely so that we can know what it meant to the lawyer and what it meant to the other people, both the learned and unlearned, that were surrounding Jesus on that particular day. And we're going to learn some things from this lesson of the Good Samaritan. But for today, I want you to remember God wants us to love him with everything that we are and everything that we have. And he wants us to love our neighbors and the strangers. And I guess I'll go ahead and add our enemies just as we love ourselves. And I want to encourage you this week when you're looking at somebody, you're dealing with someone, even if it's like in the news, and we know how head up we get over the news sometimes. Put yourself in the place of the people you're reading about. How would God want us to treat those people? He'd want us to treat them 
the way that we ourselves want to be treated. And I want to encourage you to get into that mindset over the next few weeks of treating your neighbor, treating your strangers, treating your enemies as if they were you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all of the wonderful things that uh, are happening here at Morning Hour Chapel. We thank you for last week's Easter service. We thank you for uh, all of the, the ministries and events and things like that that we are, that we are seeing uh, as we continue to grow your kingdom, as we continue to build your kingdom, as we continue to preach the gospel and guide people towards you. Father, right now I want to just ask you that you would give us wisdom and guidance and strength to know where you want us to work, what you want us to do. Give us wisdom and guidance to understand how we can use the things that we are doing and the things that we are planning to reach people for you. Let all of our energy go into that. Father, most of all, I ask that you would help us. Help us to know that you want us to love you with everything that we are and everything that we have. Help us to know that you want us to love our neighbor, love our strangers, love our enemies the same way we love ourselves. Father, give us empathy. Let us put ourselves in others' places and then decide how we're going to treat them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, uh, for about 10 or 15 minutes, we're going to hear from someone from Gideon's International. Some of you are familiar with Gideon's. Uh, they're the ones that put the Bibles in the hotel rooms, among many, many other things. We're going to hear about the work that they do uh, in taking care of their neighbors and their strangers and their enemies. So I hope that you can be here for that. In the meantime, I pray that you will go out of this place, that you will put your face on the faces of those that you encounter and that you will love them as you love yourself and treat them as you would want to be treated. God bless you this week.